Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, this is Adam, who you might know as one of the hosts of Monkey Tennis, the podcast you're about to listen to. And this is Bex, who longtime Monkey Tennis listeners may know as the voice of Monkey Tennis Series 1's fake ads. We're interrupting your pod to tell you about a brand new podcast from the both of us called Film Club. Born out of a search for a fun, cheap night in together, we filled a jar with film categories. Each week we pick one category and then a film each, based on that category. This two-person club has now expanded to become a podcast, and episode one is available now wherever you get your pods. Episode one has a whiff of partridge about it too. Our category was films based on a TV series, so my choice was the Armando Anucci helmed Steve Coogan starring in The Loop. And my choice? Well, you'll just have to listen to find out as we turn two people and one jar into endless film possibilities and invite you to join our film club find us on apple Podcasts, spotify acast or via twitter.com forward slash film club pod uk now back to my past self and monkey tennis i must complete the journey that my father never could i must do it on foot can't remember why it will be called the footsteps of my father walk my home isn't insulated Monkey Tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey Tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Lava on him, Nosey. Love you, Aim. Monkey Tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey Tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey Tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey Tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. 
Hello once again and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We are about to take a look at a man called Michael. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Nick Older. Regis will hammer you on the small print. <laughs> and Tom Stab. <laughs> Plant one on him, Nolsey. Great. So, Tom Stab's at the helm of this particular episode. I am indeed. Uh, I was quite happy to get this chapter because um, we've speculated quite a bit before, during the recording of this time, whether we would see Michael in this time at any point. There was quite a lot of speculation from fans and stuff like that. Um, Just a quick question. Who had actually read Nomad before this time went out? Me. Not me. No. So, I guess from you two, there may have been some speculation about whether we would see Michael, whereas you, Tom, probably thought we're not going to see Michael because of how clear they are in the book that he is a man who died yeah but of course they have since said as well that they do have plans for michael don't they yes they have so again this kind of leaves the door they open. being the gibbons yeah, brothers. Yeah, yeah which is smart i guess you want to keep that door open for michael because he's a fan's favorite but as i said in the uh commentary for alpha papa a character like michael you have to use quite sparingly is i think the exact quote they were saying like the more you use him it's diminishing returns and i got yeah. the impression that even with alpha papa they they felt that they were right on the edge of it being too contrived that he would be part of that story. So I think they their standard of what's a realistic way of reintroducing Michael is much higher than 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 us as listeners mm-hmm. watchers. So it's a strong start from Alan in this chapter. Humility is my watchword, and I'm one of the humblest broadcasters you'll find. <laughs> this reminded me of uh, "I'm So Humble" from the pop stars "Never Stop, Never Stopping" soundtrack. It's basically the same joke over a whole three-minute song. Uh, I enjoy the fact that he uh, thinks that people assume his life is all about lunch with Ranson, dinner and drinks with Dimbleby, lazy barbecues round at the Chegwins, and uh, he's also keen to stress that he's one of those celebrities that befriends non-celebrities, um, which is, of course, uh, a kind of excuse for how he has Michael, a friend who is dead uh michael i also think that their their friendship is that of an acquaintance rather than a friendship as well well it's master servant basically isn't it wash my car (laughs) um so we've got some alanisms here uh kind of i guess like spoonerisms there's a normal peter and a standard andrew as well which is you know (laughs) terms that he uses to describe like the the normals out there, I guess. Man on the street. Average Joe, yeah. Yeah. So what does Alan slash we know or don't know about Michael? So uh, the things that Alan goes through, he says that he's an exceptionally low achiever. Um, well, I guess we can agree that that part is true. Um, he compares him to a rat as well. Yes. You're never more than a few feet away from a Michael and that given the chance he will breed like mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, this is kind of to go with Alan's point of what he thinks about the working class basically, isn't it? Um, a naturally promiscuous man and that the only reason he didn't have a ton of bairns was because he sustained a cock injury in Iraq <laughs> <laughs> oh dear now uh, there, obviously there's been a bit of speculation about whether Michael was ever in the army I think this this could be an extension to that lie I agree yeah he has got a ton of bairns but he just doesn't see them and so a cock injury in Iraq is an easiest the easiest way to explain away anything about to do with that so Michael was told to leave school at nine and yeah. learn a trade <laughs> <laughs> I, I also love like you know yeah he's one of nine children but a crucial footnote that says this is all conjecture or guesswork there's actually oh, yeah. there's yeah, actually yeah. no like proof for any of this he's just assuming which makes <laughs> yeah. you think that he's essentially absolutely like deriding michael's character without any of it being yeah. based in yeah. reality completely fictionalized yeah. it yeah. feels like alan knows nothing about michael pre the travel tavern years yeah. and 
even though they then had a friendship over several years since then, he never even bothered to find out or ask. Yeah, there's a build on that that says, we never spoke about this family, about his family, and I've never been able to find the time to look into it. So, so I'll just assume that this is yeah. probably what he grew up, like this was his uh, standard of living. Also the vagueness of saying, Michael was posted to a few places and probably saw some action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 At 16, he met some officers uh, at a Join the Army stand, a car exhibition at the NEC. Again, conjecture. Can you remember any of Alan's examples of how soldiers uh, at the arming stations lure people into conversation what the, the line is that they use again one that Alan kind of makes up uh, no. <laughs> cool jeans you're wearing you know what's even cooler firing guns <laughs> <laughs> that's not a million miles away from some of the army adverts you still get on telly now really yeah 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 so Again, like to do with the kind of questioning whether Michael was actually in the army and whether he actually saw um, any combat. I've done a bit of a deep dive on Age Watch. So Michael goes to the NEC car show and speaks to the army guys in 1969 when he was 16. So that would make Michael today, 66, uh, if he were alive, of course, uh, 44 when he sat on a steak and kidney pie in Alan's hotel room, <laughs> 48 when he drove to Cardiff and had full sex with a woman, and 60 when he did a shit in a box slash died. Um, That's a great timeline. <laughs> Michael's greatest hits. <laughs> so yeah, do we believe Michael? Because then it kind of skips to him working in the hotel. So with the Iraq war where Michael supposedly got his cock injury remember that's what alan says conjecture mm -hmm, i guess mm -hmm. uh he got the inspiration so that's where he would have got the inspiration later to name his bike desert storm yeah uh and the desert and the iraq war ran from august 1990 to february 1991 so are we to assume that michael was in the army for 22 years because that's when he would have signed up in 1969 so that's a long time and i don't think necessarily if that's true that, that, that he was in the army i think that's feasible if you're the sort of um person that's worked your way out the ranks but i think it's a safe bet that michael would not no. have worked his way out the ranks. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, 20 years later he's still a private i can imagine that he had campaigns that were 22 years apart and that he had a lot of downtime or sort of you know was on standby for much of that 22 years yeah possibly yeah i mean he i guess the thing is with michael he's a bit of an odd character not the smartest and a bit reckless so i don't know how long his career in the army would have actually lasted and i, I could imagine him getting uh, a dishonorable discharge like within the first year <laughs> and, cr and cr Doing a shit in a box. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of the cruxes this timeline is built on, namely that he went to join the army at a car stand exhibition at 16, uh, is a detail that Alan has made up completely. Yes, so, that, yeah, that is, yeah. it is key to remember that. <laughs> yeah. So we're now in the travel tavern and uh, Alan says it has all the hallmarks of a top London boutique hotel, which includes... 24-hour reception, standard, yeah. uh, complimentary shoe polisher near the lifts, which are also complimentary, mm -hmm. uh, and a savvy clientele that wanted five-star service <laughs> for a three-star price. <laughs> and my note here is, don't we all? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's the dream. Uh, yes, another TripAdvisor uh, mention here as Indeed, well. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Alan does advise that you keep away from the TripAdvisor reviews because a handful of unhappy customers have really gone to town on them. <laughs> <laughs> Alan meets Michael one night uh, in the Travel Tavern as he's attempting to use story. leftover yeah, yeah. cigarette butts to create a super fag. Brilliant. Super <laughs> fag. <laughs> Which I'm a big fan of. Uh, one thing in this section particularly I would have really liked to have seen in I'm Alan Partridge, uh, because it creates such a great visual uh, gag, I guess, is Alan and Michael running around the hotel bar to see how many beer mats they could collect. <laughs> <laughs> so we skip on a bit and Michael's uh, getting his job at the petrol station. Which Alan we know, and we know that Alan helped him get that job, right? Yes, yeah. yep. And Alan insists that the only reason he goes there is not to hang out with my Michael, but to get coffee fuel or chalk and he likes to repeat that quite a lot coffee fuel or chalk 
Yeah, I mean, his words would be, that would be pathetic if he was just going to hang out with Michael, <laughs> despite the fact. That's very much the reality. He would never do that. He's doing that. Yeah. Uh, although he does eventually confess that he went there to talk to Michael because he wanted to discuss topics such as what would happen if you put a grenade up an exhaust pipe. Uh, so I took to Google and uh, popped in what would happen if you put a grenade up an exhaust pipe. And is it, um, do you pronounce it? Quora? Is it Quora? Like yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. question yeah, and answer yeah, site. Yeah. Um, the closest I could find was uh, uh, Will putting a cherry bomb in a tailpipe cause damage to the car? The reply from Roger Helberg in uh, May 2017. Okay, so this guy has replied to 1.5 thousand questions on Quora. Who's got the time? And his his question, his answers have had nearly 300,000 views. Um, he said, the shrapnel might kill someone, and if the fuel tank is mounted in the rear uh, near the tailpipe, the explosion and fire might blow the tank and destroy the car, a car. not a particularly bright idea. So there you go. That's oh. what would happen. I guess if Sensible you put... Advice. I mean, if you put a grenade up there, if, that, if a cherry bomb's going to do that, imagine what a grenade's going to do it's going to absolutely obliterate it isn't it yeah i mean you've got to ask yourself some serious questions if you're needing to look up that answer on the internet but <laughs> like, is this a good idea but or it's not the world we live in <laughs> worth just mentioning again that uh alan obviously got michael the bp job that's confirmed here uh, and then <laughs> yes. and, and, and equally also got him the uh, radio station security job so yeah. very much carrying michael with him i do like uh, we get some insight as to um what happened after the bp garage closed when it turned into a u.s style car wash and michael was out of work again <laughs> uh, he refused to work there because he said that he had bad hands. <laughs> I don't know what bad hands are. Is it that they've done bad things uh, or is it that <laughs> there's some take. kind of injury? I'm uh, not now, sure which. Yeah. It's definitely not an injury because plot twist, it turns out that Michael is very good at shucking Brussels. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, so do we think his hands have Brussels done bad or things? Brussels sprouts? Yeah. I think he just doesn't Shucking want... the entire town of Brussels? <laughs> I mean, that would take some quite uh, dexterous handwork to be fair. So yeah, I... Oh, no. I th- sorry, I, th- I think he just doesn't want to wash cars for a living. And so what that means is that we finally found something that Michael won't do. It's just that that list of things doesn't include having sex with someone who looks like Bob Dylan or jumping off a pier to your own <laughs> presumed death. <laughs> uh, so but he won't wash a car. Despite the fact that he washes Alan's he car. Yeah, car. exactly. So what? it's not bad hands. Well, but the reason given is that he's got bad hands. Yeah, but Parking... we, we, know that, we know that's a lie. Uh, Alan writes that he has lithe, supple fingers and uh, shucks the <laughs> sprouts into a colander uh, with no little speed. It was so impressive that Alan cut the tip of his thumb off whilst ca- carving the turkey. <laughs> uh, so I guess the biggest plot twist here is that Alan's had Michael over for Christmas dinner because mm. we yeah. know that Michael ba- uh, Alan basically spends every Christmas alone, doesn't he? Well, yeah, that's it. Alan's got no family. No one wants to see him. Um, I imagine the same is true of Michael. <laughs> None of his nine brothers or sisters want yeah. to see him. I'm, I'm uh, also imagining he's getting Michael round to basically just do all the din- dinner prep and yeah. get rid of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, if nothing else, he's certainly getting him to do the uh, veg prep, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, Michael, can you chop this and do that and wash this up? And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, cheers, got to go. Yeah. Wash, uh, my wash my plates. plates. <laughs> Cook well, my actually, roast. It's not Michael that's washing the plates. After lunch, he says, I'll put the dirty crockery back onto the tray and leave it outside my front door for my assistant to collect. <laughs> Of course, yeah. we, we should we so, should have known that. Sorry, Michael. Yeah. Lynn's already claimed plate duty. <laughs> so, on the podcast previously, we've talked about our ideal British breakfast or cookie. Uh, and as fans of Peep Show will know, in a very dramatic Christmas episode centered around whether Ooh. cauliflower cheese is a traditional side to a Christmas dinner. Spoiler: It's not. Um, so, question to the group: What is your ideal Christmas lunch? We're talking meat, trimmings, drink. Are starters involved? What's for dessert? Talk to me about cheese. Go. <laughs> 
there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I mean, this could be a whole bonus episode. Yeah, episode Mate, perhaps, what, perhaps what we could do is, uh, is is go for what we think is our most controversial uh Oh, I like that. I like that. What, yeah. what would you? What is canon for you? But you've had to debate. You've disputed it with other people. Actually, I don't think there is anything in in my. I, one. I can't think of anything. No, that I would consider it's a very conservative but excellently prepared dinner at the orders on. <laughs> we, we, uh, I, we, I think the big, the big thing about the Christmas. Christmas Day food, it's all about kind of how you're mapping out your meals over the day because I think depending on what time of day you have a breakfast com- compared to what time you have, like are you having a Christmas lunch or is it a Christmas dinner? All those sort of things, I think they all have a knock-on factor to yeah. what happens throughout the day. And I'm interested to hear how uh, the plan for Christmas Day dovetails with Stobb's absolute hardline attitude when it comes to at what time a roast <laughs> dinner is allowed. Yeah, oh, you've well, got very staunch views on this. You don't, you, believe, you don't believe that a roast dinner, what is it? It, it, ha- it can't be up I, for like three in the afternoon. I, um, I would say that anything after 5 p.m. is madness for a roast dinner on a Sunday. Why? Uh, is that including, yeah. that's including Christmas? You wouldn't have it? No, no, no. Or so are you softening your stance in reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ? Christmas dinner is usually on the table in the Stab household at around 2 p.m. I'd say it's a smidge later in our house, mm. but it's probably more like three. Basically, it's turkey, it's roast potatoes, it's pigs in blankets. Yeah, it's and pigs in blankets are essential for Christmas. Absolutely yeah. essential. This Please. could be controversial. Does anyone have Yorkshires at Christmas? Usually, yeah. I'd, really? Yeah, yeah, I'd throw mm. them in. Nice. I mean, I, I sort of think the principle of Christmas dinner is it's Christmas dinner, have what you want. If you if you want it, have it. Yeah. But it's essentially roast dinner with all the trimmings and then some more extra trimmings because yes. it's Christmas. Is it ever cauliflower cheese? Yes, no. always cauliflower yeah, cheese. Really? I would, I would have it's that. not traditional. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is traditional. <laughs> I will fight Mark Corrigan to that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and also, it's uh, it's prawn cocktail starter. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. Keeping it 80s. Or it's, it's either that or it's um, parma ham and melon balls. Nice. That's oh, also yeah. a great Christmas uh, starter. Mm, Nick is not yeah, sure. It's, it's neither of e- it, it's neither either of those. Is it oh, Christmas either. pudding? Oh no, God no! Oh, it's, it's the Heston one it, with the it orange in the middle. Is, is good. But I don't like it. No, oh. it's not good. And then it's cheese at about six, seven p.m. Oh God, yeah. oh, bring, on the, all the bring on the cheese. Yeah. And <laughs> God, the sherry is good. God, the sherry is good. <laughs> Increasingly, it's hard. It's a harder and harder fight to justify a sandwich before bedtime. After the, <laughs> the size of the roast goes up every year. See, that's why we have our lunch at about two p.m. Because by the time you get to about six, seven p.m., you're ready for another feed. If you have it mm. any later, that feed yep. is getting later and later into Once the night. Once you've watched Phil Mitchell be kicked down a flight of stairs, or something, <laughs> it's nothing says Happy Christmas time. more. Yeah, great. Really enjoyed that. After that scintillating discussion on Christmas dinner back to the chapter uh we are moving on to Alan has helped Michael get a job at North Norfolk Digital uh he Alan agreed to vouch for him when the station was advertising for a security guard uh but as it transpires as we all know the one thing that Michael failed to do is protect the security at the front door as such some people argued that Michael failed in his duties they go on to argue he's ultimately responsible for the tragedy that led to the death of one person brackets Michael um it's almost as if they're saying Michael deserted his post to help himself to wine and mini sausages, unwittingly allowing a deranged gunman to enter the building and take nine people hostage. He let himself down. And I think that's a fair point. Basically, Michael caused his own death. In a way. Yeah, um, well, he certainly, in a way. he certainly did by jumping off a pier. Yeah, but he wouldn't have been on the pier or jumping off it if the events of Alpha Papa hadn't happened. True. Yeah, yeah to be yeah. fair, Michael isn't armed though, so what would he have done even if he hadn't been tempted by wine and mini sausages? Which, let's face <laughs> it, if we were all security guards, I'd be so tempted by wine and mini sausages. Even he deserves a break, and as I say, he isn't armed. So I'd love to see you as a security guard. <laughs> or, I mean, Stop I, that. Yeah. Can you not? Nick, do it outside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> whatever you do whatever you like. Don't bother, mate. Yeah. Uh so Alan says that despite him being a security guard, Michael jumped at the 
chance to twock uh, the, uh, the the roadshow bus, uh, which Alan says is a Newcastleian acronym for stealing, taking without consent. So I uh, got in touch with a friend of mine who is from Newcastle, and I ran this uh, phrase or acronym twock past her. Um, and I think now we've got an actual direct response in the form of a voice note to confirm whether twocking is actually a real thing or not. So we'll play that in now. Sorry, Tom. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that I've never, ever heard the word twock in my life. Um, I don't know where you're getting it from, but it's not a Geordie word. Um, I hate to break it here, but that's just completely made up. Um, let me know any other words you want to know, but twock's not real. Bye. So there we go from an actual Newcastleian, as Alan says, uh, <laughs> uh, confirmation that twock is not a Geordie word. But twock is a word. It just might not be a Newcastleian word. Right. But, but then is isn't Alan saying it's a, it's a, it's an abbreviation, it's an acronym. Yeah, it's, taking it's, without yeah. consent, which yeah. is a thing. And also also referenced, if anyone remembers, the 90s sitcom with uh, Rowan Atkinson in The Thin Blue Line. I love there's The a, Thin Blue Line. The whole thing about twocking in there. So I guess, uh, so what that means is that, yeah, twock is a thing but it's not necessarily true castlean thing um yes. so i mean wait wait that, so what what is this, what are you saying what does the word actually mean then well the word is taking without consent no so. no but that, that no Stealing. that's what i'm saying taking without consent yes that that that's an acronym are you saying twoc as in twoc is a normal word no 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 i'm saying it's an acronym so we're saying it's not a newcastlean thing so um again just a little bit of number crunching uh, as a podcast we're at nearly 1.2 million listens out of this, 974,000 are from the UK, and out of this, 5,207 have come from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. So, although there are some Newcastleian listeners out there, can you confirm or deny whether Twok is from Newcastle? We've got one opinion, let's hear some others. Yeah. Uh, also, just to round off what Alan says about this, he says, it says something about the Geordie people, uh, it says something about the Geordie people that taking without consent is such a central part of their lexicon that they've grown tired of having to say it and in a bid to save time have rendered it a, an acronym. So uh, do bear that in mind when you hear uh, some your feedback. <laughs> Alan's words, not ours. <laughs> is there an interesting dig at the film script um, to set up this section as well? I think I've got the same note. Yeah, so I've highlighted uh, Alan writes then for reasons never fully explained we boarded the roadshow yep. bus <laughs> and I'd have to agree that's never given any reasoning in the film at all is it no but I mean well, it seems they're like... kind of escaping aren't they it's, yeah. a, it's a means by which they can escape the um, the siege yeah I, I, but I, I think the the way they've included this in the book I think that is a bit of a I think it's a witty I think they're having a bit of a dig at themselves a little, it's a little wink isn't it that says yeah it doesn't make loads of sense but it's a device yeah, by which they think, can escape the siege and similar to the the haircut criticism I think mm. that's probably a bit of heavy criticism the film got online or something like that and that's why they they put it in there yeah they'll have read people's you know feedback on twitter and read the reviews and probably noted that those are a couple of areas where people have raised questions so they've chucked it in here as a bit of a yep we know but still <laughs> sodger <laughs> so uh we're at michael's funeral now and uh, of course we don't actually see this uh, in alpha papa or any partridge output um he goes in on the bugler for not being very good and <laughs> yeah. of course the reveal is that he's 13 yeah. <laughs> which is a bit of a tired gag i think like maybe no yeah. no, no it's always funny All right. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. It, it's it, it is a bit of a tired gag perhaps but it's also very consistent with alan's character so yeah. you could chap, look at it chap of about five yeah. etc mm, yeah mm. alan imagines what michael would be doing now if he'd survived um he'd perhaps be have a double life as a crew 
NBA in a casino in New Orleans or maintaining a fleet of out-of-season pedalos in the Solent. It's the second one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but do you like the way that links to, um, he also pitches his body all bloated and barnacled uh, or, or wedged between a fleet of out-of-season pedalos in the Solent. <laughs> And the big reveal at the end of this chapter is that Alan's actually sending out a coded message to mm. Michael, um, uh, if he's listening. And the reveal is that every first letter of each paragraph in the chapter spells out, Hello, Michael, are you still alive? <laughs> Which, to be fair, works a lot better if you're reading the printed book than if you're listening mm. to the audio. Yes. Did anybody see that he'd started a paragraph with the word verily and become suspicious? Or, no. like me, did you only clock this when you got of to Of course, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Also, uh, of course, the, the, the other joke beneath it all is that if you wanted to find out if Michael was alive you could just write it as a sentence in the book that you're writing you don't have to hide it in the paragraph yeah it's similar when we come to discuss angela isn't it there's a, a device by which he uses a, a similar technique yeah. to get a message on there coded messages yeah. <laughs> that, was, that he's managed to subtly slip past the publishers so the chapter ends uh with alan asking michael if he's listening and to let him know that he'd like to meet up and talk about armored vehicles Alan just really misses his friend. Well, he, he misses him, but he's also dedicated in a, an entire chapter to absolutely like admonish his character. <laughs> so, yeah, but I don't think Alan thinks he's doing a disservice uh, with he this chapter. Him a rat. I think, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I, don't, I don't think Alan's got enough tact to realise that the way he's phrasing Michael's existence could be seen as quite negative. I think Alan thinks this chapter is quite a loving yeah, tribute, tribute. To, tribute to Michael. Yeah. So yeah, what? Yeah. Oh, but life life was tough in the slums of Newcastle where Michael yeah. was born to a tinker and an unskilled seamstress, one of nine children. And again, <laughs> nothing it's it. all guesswork as well. Yeah, it's all conjecture. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 think, I think that rings true with Alan's character, that he wouldn't realise that what he's writing is perhaps bad and wrong. Uh, any other further notes on this chapter? Well, just, just one thing. He talks about his father's funeral in this chapter as well, doesn't he? Um, saying that he was, uh, it was suggested by someone I was unconsciously repeating the actions I'd taken at my father's funeral. Uh, classic behaviour of someone felt, who had failed to deal with past emotional trauma. So the question I had about this, because earlier in the book, he's talked about um, his father's funeral pushing far too much soil onto the casket. And there's some kind of similarly repeated action in this chapter. But obviously Michael's body was never found, so... Can you refresh my memory, Tom? What is going on there? Yeah, Alan accidentally throws mud into a hole because uh, Michael's body was never found. There's no actual burial and it's revealed that the earth he was bulldozing had actually been done up, uh, dug up for a rockery. So is the conceit there that it's just like a random hole and he's just yeah. started pushing some mud <laughs> yes. in? Yes. Yeah. That's brilliant. This will do. <laughs> yep. I'm glad we nailed that. So that's the end of this chapter uh, and we move on to chapter 26, The Gatwick Candidate. <laughs> Um, I believe there is a walk update at this stage. Uh, yes, so it's day 10 of the walk. Um, he is covering 16 miles a day, which is relatively respectable, respectable when yeah. you yeah. consider some of the mileage he's been covering in, in, in previous uh, Essentially, chapters. Alan doing anything over 10 miles is quite good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he starts in Pinner and he'll be ending up in Surbiton. Yep, so we're back on the walk. We pick up Alan's journey again. Uh, so he's in London still uh, after trying to doorstep challenge Harvey. Um, and at first light, brackets, 10 a.m. Brilliant. <laughs> he's up brilliant. and on his way. Um, I just want to read uh, quickly how Alan justifies the next leg of his journey. The most direct route back to my father's footsteps would be back the way I came, walking as the crow flies towards the Tilbury ferry port and on. But I'm not a crow, I'm a partridge, and so crucially was my father. So basically he's justifying being a partridge, he's using uh, the justification of being a partridge as to why he doesn't go back the way he came, which would have been the quicker route, basically. 
Yeah. It's literally any excuse at this yeah. point, isn't it? And in his own words, that's just the way I'm heading anyway. A <laughs> <laughs> um, quick one on the chapter title, The Gatwick Candidate. So I'm assuming that's a play on, is it? The, Man- the Manchurian, Manchurian Candidate, candidate yes. yeah. Which but I, does that actually link thematically? I, I don't haven't know. Seen it. I haven't I'm seen not, it either. I'm not convinced that it does. Uh, well, uh, not really. I mean, this is a chapter about a man walking to an airport <laughs> and, and, and having, you know. So the uh, film isn't about getting, that. Getting, no, not at all. The Manchurian Candidate from memory is about uh, uh, someone trying to become president or prime minister. We're kind of looking at Jez here, um, who's got uh, evil F- filmic uh, knowledge. Yeah, evil as their. Uh, main uh, agenda oh right. what Jed, Jed on the film <laughs> uh, yeah sorry I slipped into talking about Jed there I should have uh, carried on talking about the Manchurian candidate so he also justifies it by remembering that he's been planning to check out Gatwick's brand of Regis Express for yonks uh, and he's been a member for years I'd never heard of Regis have I am I I, I hadn't either I'd no. heard of it but I must admit I assumed it was like a hotel whereas yeah. it seems like it's almost like a, a, a members club for people that don't have access to offices it's so like we work isn't like, it basically yeah, I imagine it's a budget members club or just like office space. it's budget we work <laughs> I mean, basically yeah, it, it's, it sits in my mind as something that I imagined uh, was prominent in the 80s and, and I'd, I imagine had probably become obsolete by the it's time traveling it's traveling salesman at all. needing to send faxes not at and all. make Be- phone calls isn't it because in the research for this I found out that it has over 2,000 centres and in 2018 generated a revenue of 2.5 billion Wow. Good so business go. to get into. Great. Yeah, yeah. Alan describes it as business cool and what it must be like working in Dubai after finding himself accidentally on Richard Keyes' mailing yeah, list. Brilliant. Uh, so question to the group. How familiar are you with the broadcaster Richard Keyes? Not at all. Uh, hardly at all. Vaguely, as in sports reporter and hairy arms. That's Brilliant. all I've got. I am very happy to do a deep dive on this because, first of all, he's an odious man. He um, was in some sort of trouble at one point. Yes. Wasn't he? We'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> Vaguely aware about that as well. Yeah. So he was the face of Sky's Super Sunday and Monday Night Football from 1992 to 2011. In 2008, he was accidentally filmed on air saying about Estonia versus Scotland, daft little ground, silly game, fuck off. And in most famously, in 2011, him and Andy Gray were sacked by Sky after being caught off-camera making derogatory comments about referee's assistant, Sean Massey. I won't go into what they said, but safe to say it's awful. And uh, he is married. Uh, he married his wife in 1982. He has two children, but they separated in 2016 after he cheated on her with his daughter's best friend. Wow. wow. There you go. Richard Keyes there. According, oh. according to Wikipedia. No, all of that's true. Oh, no, it's true. He's <laughs> <laughs> confirmed it. Tom Stapp has confirmed come it. Come at me, Keyesy. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it seems that the email list is an excuse for Keyes to send his friends pictures of him in sunglasses on a lilo or eating steak with Andy Gray. <laughs> and this is all in a footnote, isn't it? The Richard Keyes email stuff. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, now he works in um, Qatar, I think, as mm, yeah. as a as a report as a, a presenter out there. Um, Keys doesn't know what BCC is, so everyone's emails are on that list. And Alan replies that he would be interested to see how Keys got on in the Islamic state of Qatar. And the other is the Islamist state of Qatar. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Alan is swiftly removed from the email list. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great payoff. But yeah, but crucially, Richard Keys does still send weekly updates, just not with Alan. <laughs> Eating steak Eating on a lilo. <laughs> Didn't Richard Keyes and Andy Gray do some kind of like after dinner speaking tour once they're both oh, they definitely removed from Sky? I think they still probably yeah. do, to be Awful. honest. Uh, so back to Alan's journey and his next steps take him through the harrowing town of Harrow, the green belt of Greenford, a woman called Brenda from Brentford, the riches of Richmond, the twits of Twickenham, the teddy boys of Teddington, the fit for a king Kingston upon Thames and ends up in a modest B&B in Surbiton. 
So a nice little bit of alliteration there, which I think yeah. Alan enjoys and also I enjoy. And it, really, and it doesn't the really make sense, of Surbiton, does it? Finishing it off with, a, uh, with, with an extra little one at the end. But, it, but it's things like, you know, to say a harrowing town of Harrow, fine, that makes sense. The green belt of Greenford, fine, that makes sense. And then a woman called Brenda in Brentford. Oh, yeah, he doesn't he's, go he's through a woman yeah. called Brenda in yeah. Brentford. Uh, yeah, it's That's a lie. Yeah. It's a lie. <laughs> Alan writes, if this sounds like a perfunctory description of a day's walk, what can I say? Nothing of any interest happens. If you've got a problem with that, take it up with the towns I mentioned or their elected representatives. And it, it's we've kind of talked about this a bit before. There are large swathes of action in the book where he just really skips through everything. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a brilliant conceit that the writing is so poor. You'll get a real deep dive into some conversations, and then there are other chapters where he's he's walked like twenty miles and doesn't give you any detail about what's happened. And lots of instances as well of him being like, "If you've got a problem with it, take it up with insert something that Some, isn't someone him. else. Yeah. It's, it's everyone else's problem, not his." Yeah. Probably time to discuss um, airports, isn't it now? Yep. And uh, Alan describes Gatwick as the London Airport, it's okay to like. Um, has everyone got the details on how he describes the other airports of London? Uh, yes. Uh, well, that London Luton isn't in London and is barely in Luton. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Stansted, an arrogant upstart. Or Stansteed. Or Stansteed, yep. Um, Sissy, full of bankers. Yep. Uh, and Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. <laughs> I, I think he summed it up pretty well, to be honest, because with the exception of Southern Rail providing the service for Gatwick, I'm a big fan of Gatwick. Uh, I do think Heathrow being an absolute city of an airport is one of my favourite lines yeah, in the book. Yeah, it's, well. spot yeah. it's spot on. So just as Alan pays £50 for a £2.99 whiteboard uh, to, write Nick, uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to write Harvey's name on, yeah. he gets a tap on the shoulder from <laughs> Nick <laughs> Knowles, uh, who comes to Gatwick most evenings to drink, shop and eat. <laughs> so that is good. amazing. <laughs> so is it time to do a deep dive on Nick Knowles? God, this is what I've been waiting for. I, I have to say, I think this is possibly my favourite chapter in the book and probably because it so prominently features Nick Knowles. So a bit of background on Nick. Uh, he was born Nicholas Simon Augustine Knowles. Uh, he was born in Middlesex in 1962. Uh, he hosted a number of TV shows, most, most notably DIY SOS, which has been running since 1999. Uh, but he also hosted the National Lottery Saturday Night TV game shows, Who Dares Wins, Guestimation, Secret Fortune and Break the Safe. <laughs> All sound dreadful. Yeah, rubbish. Uh, contestant on I'm a Celeb in 2018, where he finished sixth. Uh, with that series also featured Edmonds, interestingly, who was eliminated first. <laughs> <laughs> he released a covers album called Every Kind of People in Christmas 2017. And that was uh, part of a trend of daytime TV personalities releasing terrible Christmas albums. I was going to say that must have been in the wake of Bradley Walsh, was it? We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. So I was well aware of um, Bradley Walsh, uh, but I must admit Nick Knowles and his musical cr uh, career was a bit of a new one on me. I, a, a lucky escape. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've not heard any of his uh, output. Anyone else heard any of it? No. Well, I wish a, I had. <laughs> for a treat for everyone around this table and for the listeners at home, we're going to play a little bit of it in now. Sounds good so far, doesn't for it? For rights and quality reasons, <laughs> the <laughs> section in the podcast may be shorter. <laughs> oh, we've got a bit of a wait till we get to the vocal. Yeah. Oh, God, is we'll it a cover of this. Make You Feel My Love? Yep. Eww. We'll cut this. Come on, Nolsey. When the rain is blowing <laughs> in your mustache. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole world is Who did the original? Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. I could always Who else has covered it? <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> to make you feel my love. It'd be a perfect soundtrack for some really loud drilling. When the <laughs> and the stars appear. 
And there's no one <laughs> He's really having that up, isn't he? I could hold you it's, for it reminds me of um, David Brent when he yeah. does his own oh, yeah, single. That's, that's a good shout. Make yeah. you feel my love. Beautiful. It's made me feel something. <laughs> so there we go. That is Nick Knowles' cover of Make You Feel My Love, which was a song written by Bob Dylan. Uh, actually, in because uh, you, you listen to that and you think it's quite an old song. That song was written in 1997. I mean, Dylan is not even dead, but he'd still be t- he's still turning in his grave well, hearing that. He, he wrote it, but uh, Billy Joel uh, was the person who originally released it. And it's been covered, from, uh, covered by such heavyweights as Adele, Garth Brooks, Brian Ferry, Kelly Clarkson, and Nick Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> the quality control going off a cliff there. Yep, there you go. So I think round the table we can all agree that we're quite fans of Amazon one-star reviews. Oh, yes. So I've picked out a few highlights from the yes. uh, Amazon listings for <laughs> this release. Uh, if you were to be shrunk down to the size of a pin and placed inside of a dog turd, this is what you would hear. <laughs> This is truly awful. I bought this for my mum as a joke and she told me how bad it was after seeing Nick plug it on TV. It will probably go straight in the bin. If I die, this pl- if I die, play this at my funeral and you'll die with me. I was going to buy it for my nan but decided to go around and take a shit in her ear. <laughs> that was posted on Christmas Day in 2017. Wow, amazing. And finally, right, this is quite a long one but it really goes on a journey. So, okay. <clears throat> I'm going to level with you. I haven't listened to it. Not in the literal sense, at least. I know this Knowles guy, though. He's the guy in the tight black T-shirt with a hammer, and sometimes he's got a trowel. Sometimes he's in a tight white T-shirt, but usually it's black. He's got a strangely huge skin tone, and he often looks like he's about to pass a particularly troublesome stool. I don't really know much about music. I suspect he doesn't either. It all smacks of a midlife crisis, if you ask me. I remember him ranting on TV once. He was ranting about wallpaper. He hates wallpaper. He says it's nothing. He says it's just this thing that surrounds you. It surrounds you every day, but you never notice it. He says it's meaningless decoration with no artistic merit. Odd, then, that he should make an album of meaningless decoration with no artistic merit. I've checked the artwork, and it's all too evident that he made this album by largely leaning against some brickwork wearing a tight black T-shirt. He hates music, but he loves the idea of being musical. And unfortunately for mankind, he also has a disposable income that allows him to make this album. It's music for no reason, for nothing. Music for no one other than this guy in the tight black T-shirt who doesn't even like music. It is everything that is nothing. It is wallpaper. It is lettuce. And to a lesser extent, it is a cultural hate crime it is a cultural hate crime (laughs) one star (laughs) and uh just for listeners at home if you're interested in getting yourself a copy of the album what is the album called uh it is called every kind of people by nick knowles available in all good retailers now anyone care to uh uh guess how many monthly listens he has on spotify <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go optimistic not because i, I want it to be true <laughs> i'm gonna say fifteen thousand. okay Tom's i was down. gonna go ten thousand. Okay. i i'm i'm i mean i wasn't being genuine with 200 but that's fine i'm i'm hoping it's not as high as both of their guesses okay well the answer is 2,200. So I'd like to do a little quiz um, based uh, sort of around the idea of, uh, you know, TV and film stars releasing uh, albums is, you know, like nothing really new. Uh, So I've pulled together a list of recent ones and I have the sales figures. So this is going to be a little game of sort of higher or lower. Um, And and this is all essentially the 
Bradley Walsh effect, we're saying. Yeah. So he but, was successful and a glut of rubbish celebrities released albums following. Exactly. Yeah. So that, it's nothing new. People have been doing it for years, but about two years ago, there was a kind There's of a concentration. trend. Yes, exactly. So um, these sales figures are accurate as of Wednesday, the 7th of August, 2019. So I'm going to start by telling you the Nick Knowles figure, and then I'm going to give you the people afterwards, and I want you to tell me whether you reckon right. the sales were higher or lower. So Nick Knowles, every kind of people, sales to date, 7,747. Oh, that's low. That doesn't sound good. So next up, Alistair McGowan released The Piano Album. So how many sales, mm. higher, or sorry, not how many sales, higher or lower than 7,747? Well, I mean, start by saying I'm amazed Knowles sold that many records. <laughs> I would say higher because that is a staggeringly low number. Yeah, I'm so going to say, I'm going to put McGowan higher. Group, group consensus. I, I would, I'm with Adam, it's higher. I... I'll go with the group, but personally, I think Knowles did a lot of promotion around his record. I think Knowles would probably... Be, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the group. We'll go higher for McGowan. It's lower. 3,948. Oh, God. Next up, Alexander Armstrong, A Year of Songs. Really? Higher or lower? <sighs> definitely higher. Yeah. Definitely. Higher. Yeah. I think higher. that probably did relatively well. It is higher. 201,093. Wow. Well done. <laughs> Bradley Walsh, Chasing Dreams. Higher. That was higher, that was the, way wasn't higher. it like the biggest selling debut UK album of the year? I think it, it was like the biggest selling debut since like the Arctic Monkeys or something yep. mental like really? that. Really? Yeah. Oh yep. my god! Okay, I'll go with these guys higher. It's lower, one hundred and fifty-two thousand and seventy-five. Oh, and interestingly, uh, that Bradley Walsh album, the year it was released, was the biggest selling debut album of that year. The music industry is fine. <sighs> Staggering. Okay, so next up, Jason Manford, a different stage. Oh, this did quite well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And he had a busy year because I remember he had he was he was touring comedy and he was in a musical. So it's higher or lower than 150. Was he not in broad and some kind of sex scandal as well? Yeah, he was naughty. Yeah. Um, higher or lower? So higher or lower than 152,000? I'm going to say lower, but I don't think it's lower by much. Okay, yeah, let's go lower, but by a a small margin. It is lower. (laughs) 18,535. Considerably lower, okay. 
Next up, Len Goodman, Crooners and Swooners. Wow. Please be lower. Mm. Although he is on Strictly, isn't Strictly he? Strictly is, so yeah, yeah, can't promote show. it there because it's BBC. Yeah. I, l- lower? Lower. I'll go with you guys. Lower. lower. It's higher. Oh. 116,964. Oh, yeah. There is no accounting for taste. This country. I also think perhaps that figure is skewed by the fact that Len Goodman fans are more likely to buy it on a physical format. Yeah, and also it's worth noting that out of all of these, it's the only album where it's not actually Len singing. It's like his co- compilation of... So what, he's literally oh. just Len presents. It's he's just basically yeah. done a Spotify playlist and yeah. absolutely coined it. Basically, Len, yeah. Len's pretend. That's a bit like, Sony. That's yeah. a bit like there was um, a Michael Parkinson album that Warner yes. did like uh, 15 years ago or something. Yeah. But basically a double CD compilation of songs that he liked. But it's literally like the Michael Parkinson album, with, Michael yeah. Parkinson album with his face on the cover. We've got a few signed copies of that at home, if anyone's interested. <laughs> I could do with a new coaster. <laughs> Uh, and finally, we have Shane Ritchie, a country soul. Uh, I'd say higher. Oh, actually, hang on. No, the lemon was massive. Lemon uh, was lower. Massive. It's got to be lower. Lower. Uh, yeah, okay, lower. I have a feeling it did quite badly. It is lower. It's 8,572. <laughs> Sorry, Shane. <laughs> so there it's you go. not good news. That's the end of the sales quiz. Great quiz. Fantastic. What happens next is disappointing for everyone involved. Um, so basically, Nolsey uh, grabs Alan and pulls him into the Weatherspoons of... Uh, N- Nolsey, you're a nickname terms of him now. Yeah, yeah Nolsey. Me and Nolsey. Big Nolsey. Uh, grabs Alan and pulls him into the Weatherspoons. Three pints of lager later, Alan is drunk and spots Harvey. Yeah, well, I, there's a couple of other like Nick things that I really enjoyed. There's a bit where um, uh, Nick kind of uh, asks Alan who, when he's talking about um, Harvey Kennedy, and then in brackets afterwards it goes, actually, ooh. Uh, yeah, there, there are some great descriptions, aren't there? He says, uh, Nolsey is a, is a big chap. Uh, his accent is a guttural East End oi oi that screams, yeah. I am a physically violent man. <laughs> uh, there's also a description before then. He's a big man with a craggy face and an eased amongst labourers and tradesmen that suggests if the mood took him, he could summon them like Tarzan summons the animals and have them take you to pieces, violence-wise. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, he slaps uh, Alan on the back. Alan goes, ha, I laugh. Not because it's funny, brackets, it isn't. It really hurts. <laughs> but because I've always been afraid of Nick. <laughs> oh so good i was also going to add uh, i like the detail uh when he says nick and i have two to three pints of lager uh that nick says it will relax me and insists that he only ever presents diy sos if he's diy slo shed sloshed yeah so it all goes wrong uh i mean we could see this coming a mile off couldn't we uh alan is now singing his idea to harvey but he calls him mr nichols by mistake uh obviously a reference to harvey nichols uh oh, sorry and also suggests that he would like to become the fourth jew in his crowd yeah. <laughs> instead of jewel in his crown this very much conjures up um when he's uh drunk in the linton travel tavern so we've kind of seen mm. him like stumbling around not being able to hold his alcohol slurring his words and this very much reminded me of that scene well, I like Alan, Alan lists the reasons as uh, his dehydration, tiredness, and being honest, inexperience with lager as a drink, leading him yeah. to this state of intoxication. <laughs> Despite the fact, remember, he had been in Regis not that long ago, um, having a shower so he could freshen up. So I'm not sure I entirely <laughs> buy that. <laughs> because he, and I quote, wants to be clean for Harvey. That's <laughs> yeah. very creepy. <laughs> Uh, so Harvey, I mean, obviously has had enough of this and just pushes past him. Uh, and then Alan tries to get, uh, Noel, uh, Nick Knowles to beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> Plant one on him, Nolsey, lay him out. But he didn't, Nick Knowles just pretended to not be with him. And the absolute <laughs> final line in this, um, chapter is absolutely brilliant. Uh, on Nick, 
he's basically a big horrible git of a man <laughs> yeah um i haven't got any other notes on this chapter so if anyone uh, don't know if anyone else has or should we move on um there's just one passage that i quite liked where he's talking about airports in general uh, and he paints quite a poetic picture with a great payoff i'll just read you a bit of it it says uh, oh the telltale thunder roar of a plane taking off at first i struggle to hear myself think but i think it's okay i just turn up the volume in my mind and then almost instinctively i find myself standing bolt upright saluting the winged beast above me and yelling up to it at the top of my voice good luck large friend take wing and fly for the skies are yours now and you are free free to soar and swoop to glide and gamble across the very face of heaven until you touch down weary yet elegant in a land far far away and with that Ryanair flight 9853 to Cork is gone. Yeah, brilliant. I like the, the, the detail about him turning up the volume in his mind right, as well. Yeah. That's again like his brain is separate to the rest of him. And now chapter 27, Upon the Wings of a Child. Uh, I believe there is a walk update, so I'll throw over to Nick. Um, if you put an R... Actually, after the O and the N, you've got porn. And then if you move child in front of it, this chapter actually says child porn. <laughs> That's not good, is it? <laughs> How's that walk update coming on, Nick? <laughs> so- <laughs> Should we cut that? <laughs> no, no, leave What that. the fuck was that? that was brilliant. <laughs> are, you, are you mentally unwell? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that was, sorry about that, listeners. <laughs> so, um, chapter 27, uh, this is day 12. It's now Wednesday, and he's going to cover 8.6 miles today, and we'll be travelling from Gatwick to East Grinstead. So, Alan is pondering a tattoo uh, across his forehead that simply says, <laughs> why do I bother? <laughs> That's because he's in a pretty crummy mood, isn't he? Well, actually, he's in a branch of ready to munch. <laughs> yeah. But he then says, known by the French as Pretamunga. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's a, another deliberate Nesquilk style. Yeah. <laughs> so Alan's justification uh, slash denial for this is that he's got, gone on a four day detour based on assurances by a business associate. <laughs> Again, it's everyone else's fault except his. Yeah. Uh, at least he got to spend the night in Gatwick's wonderful Ibis Hotel and he says it's worth every one of its two stars. <laughs> well, actually, I looked, it's got four stars on Google from over 700 reviews. So, so, not terrible. Three star. So he awakes from a grolshy sleep. <laughs> so we find out what lager he's been drinking the day before uh, and what lager of uh, what Nick Knowles' lager of choice is as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if we see him advertising grolsh uh, soon, we'll know why. He's cleaning himself with head and shoulders in a sink. So that's a, that's a nice Well, no, he's cleaning his last pair of functioning underpants. Yeah. That, that's a pe- with a much needed sink wash. That's a very important detail. The results were impressive. Admittedly, they were never going to come out spotless. But what I can say is that they were a genuine improvement in both stains and stench. <laughs> stain and stench. Brilliant. I like as well that it's not his last pair of clean underpants, it's his last pair of functioning. So presumably he's worn holes. What's happened to the other ones? And he's been walking for what, 12 days? <laughs> <laughs> I think Brian took all the others, didn't he? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah that's point. a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Brian or a group of teenagers. Yeah. Th- there's one more important detail on the pants as well that they aren't even dry. <clears throat> he's washed them in the sink and put them straight on and gone to prep. Oh, God. I can only imagine what that must feel like. There's every chance that in a couple of hours they will be dry though so lynn calls alan and she's excited about read receipts which uh i don't know if you can go around the route uh, around the table that's definitely the worst most passive aggressive thing anyone can do with an email and it's immediately delete if someone does that Yeah, always hit no do you want to give a read receipt no no who needs to read like the only time i think a read receipt is acceptable is maybe in the legal profession i've never come across it to be honest as a phenomenon really no it's very rare but yeah when it's the mark of a moron yeah <laughs> so alan's it. employed it actually yeah. no maybe lindsay is it worse than saying best uh thanks and best 
Best is thanks and best is the worst sign off. Also, I tell you what. Now that we're on an office thing, <laughs> do, 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 does anyone else get annoyed with this when people like uh, putting their signature like a thanks and their name instead of typing that in like yes. a kind of uh, part of the signature? Ultimate yeah. laziness. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's 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 not good. I do that. You are <laughs> you are the That's worst because I'm saving time. No, but. You should either personalise that Why based that on matter? the content. Just thanks. Yeah. You're going to say thanks and then your name no, anyway, no, aren't you? Some people no. you need to say thanks, Tom. Some people you need to say cheers, Governor T. Boz. You know, there's, there's different, <laughs> there different, different names levels, for different yeah. needs. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Can't okay. believe you're one of them. <laughs> also, please, if you're one of those people that gripes about the fact that everybody says, I hope you're well, stop being such a bellend about basic human politeness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lynn gets excited about this and that she's only just got over 1471, which of course is 1471. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Sorry, is that how does he describe it as fourteen seventy in the audio book? Yeah, yeah, fourteen seventy one. Because nobody calls it that. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. uh, right. So, question to the group: Can you remember all the people that he gets a read receipt from? Uh, yes, I have the list here. So it starts with Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Ainsley Harriet. Okay. Julia Bradbury. No. Okay. Philip Schofield. Okay. And Eamon Holmes. Right. Can you read those again? Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Ainsley Harriet. Okay. Julia Bradbury. No. Okay. Philip Schofield. Okay. And Eamon Holmes. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely, in yeah. the audiobook, that is probably my favourite bi- favorite bit. I love it so it, much. It's very, very funny. So Alan is about 70 miles from Dungeness at this point, and it leads into a section that I think is quite random and probably one of the weakest sections in the book, I think, where Alan is flanked by some giddy kids who think that he's walking and raising money for Alvin's foundation. don't really have a huge amount on this, but it, I didn't find it particularly great. No, there's a couple hmm. of nice, uh, subtle literary bits in the in the book, though. See, when he's talking to uh, Lynn in part of the, the same call where he's checking the read receipts, uh, he says, uh, so they all know I'm doing it, um, and, and they all know, and then he's put in square brackets, when I finish the walk. And then there's a big bit of consternation between him and Lynn about where... Um, whether he said if or when, oh, yeah. and then he's put in the book, <laughs> yeah. he said, if you look at four lines, you'll see quite clearly that I said when, but then when you go back up four lines, you can see that he's inserted the word when in square brackets. Brilliant. Yeah, so he definitely said if. Mm. Great. And there's the reveal that uh, Alan has a weekly video call uh, with uh, some fellow presenters uh, when Sunday Politics comes on and after Eamon Holmes has finished his breakfast. Um, <laughs> so the people on the Skype call are Alan, Eamon Holmes, John Stapleton, when allowed, Peter Sissons, and a hairy biker. <laughs> Hasn't bothered to learn which one. Uh, oh, that's totally the gag, isn't it? He doesn't know which yeah, is which. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you remember the reason they're becoming uh, less frequent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's because Eamon Holmes insists on doing his from the bath. Uh, and it hasn't gone down yeah. well. While he eats sliders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that detail is crucial. Um, is, it, is it worth dwelling on some of the questions that they discuss in their Sunday Skype club? <laughs> well, I've got them written down here. Is it okay to hug a crying child? What if the child is 15 and a girl? Or it takes place in your dressing room and you've taken wine? Or if the child's parents are present but temporarily distracted? Uh, if the child needs applying a thigh bandage, only when you do it you notice that she's wearing lipstick and the high bandage is made out of lace and looks more like a frilly garter? Or that the child 
isn't upset, but you, you, you're trampolining together and the kid does a brilliant somersault after weeks of trying and you realise all he, she wanted was a well done and a pat on the back or that the child is a chimney sweep and has become lodged in your <laughs> chimney and is asking, no pleading for you to grab him by the legs and pull him down and his parents aren't present and you're only wearing shorts because it's hot. My favourite bit of this is when the hairy biker says... <laughs> uh, tend, the hairy biker tends not to join in, claiming it's not difficult, you just don't touch up kids. Well, Or is it a child porn ring? Ah, wow. the wings of a child. Yeah, no, that's probably not bad. <laughs> uh, I do like the bit where he calls teachers blithering scum. He does hate teachers. He does yeah, he? kind yeah. of the second attack on teachers. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's not afraid to go off on a teacher. And uh, the writers of the book draw Toby Young in at this point as well, saying yeah. he was lunching a couple of years ago with writer slash broadcaster slash agitator Toby <laughs> Young. Uh, and that Toby had basically come up with, uh, oh yeah, and on Toby's advice, Alan created a weekly feature on my show called Shame on Them, Shame on Them, <laughs> where he singled out an unorthodox teacher and gave out his or her name and address on air. <laughs> uh, won't spend too much time on Toby Young, but whilst doing my research on him, I did find this line on his own Wikipedia oh, page. he's a bell oh, man, isn't he? <laughs> Wait. Young is believed to have edited his own Wikipedia page 282 times in the decade uh, leading up to January 2018. 282. That is probably because people are putting defamatory things. That's what I was going to say. Are people sabotaging it and he's correcting it? I mean, either way, brilliant. But as as a result of that, they can now say this and it can't be disputed because it is true. And you've got an edit history, presumably you can check. There are two other bits I really like in this section when he's uh, walking, being followed with the kids. Uh, They've been asking about sandwiches and stuff. I love the phrase, I'm getting razzed off. And then he writes, realising my route takes me right, I duck off at a delicious rice angle, helping myself to the pat lunch I'd agreed to look after as I walk away. (laughs) So he's stolen lunch from kids' dad. That is brilliant. Brilliant. And then Alan is spending the night at the Lark Guest House, uh, run by Dave and Ashley Lambert. Uh, they're a gay couple, so their sense of humour is not for him. <laughs> yeah, however, his real interest is in uh, Scientology, which has its UK headquarters um, based in, in, in uh, East Grinstead. Although I did not know that. Rather I was, yeah, yeah. was going to say, I didn't fact check that. Is that actually yeah, yeah, yeah. true? So it's a place called St. Hill Manor, which was bought by L. Ron Hubbard in 1959. He lived there until 1967 and it has had $16 million worth of work done to it and was finally completed in 2015. Oh, I think it's it's like kind of like a massive country, country it's house. It's enormous. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Look at the, if you Google it, like, I it think is I've seen pictures massive. Well. And brilliant, well, not brilliant, but that's what Alan says about. Uh, I also enjoyed the bit about the uh, the, the gay couple um, whose sense of humour is not for Alan. Uh, I come to realise they've been talking about caravanning the entire time. Uh, I I did start to wonder if it might be a gay sex term that Dale Winton failed to include in the glossary he did for me. I love that he's made a glossary <laughs> yeah, for Alan. Great. That's really good. What what comes next is a a uh, heavily redacted paragraph that I think, rather than us just trying to regurgitate it as we do with every other joke, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll play in the uh, the audio clip here so you can enjoy it for yourselves. I'm more than happy to give my own critique, as I see it. And that's just for starters. At every bath time, apparently. And another... Aldi. Tactical firearms team. Needless to say, at the last laugh. What I like there is that um, that they've clearly redacted things like the phrase "I had the," um, <laughs> which there'd be no reason to get rid of. Like, yeah. The "I had the" of the "I had the last laugh." Uh, yeah. And I also like the fact if just the bits that you do either read or hear, 
I, I can't figure out what the actual paragraph would be either. I, oh, I feel like that's obviously yeah, a very deliberate thing. There's I, no way it pulls together. I wonder if they've ever actually written it. Yeah, to, yeah, have, probably not. to have things like bath time, Aldi and tactical <laughs> firearms team. <laughs> Anything else on this chapter at all? Um, only that this is uh, the beginning of the, the night sweats that are explored more visually mm. in uh, this time. Um, so yeah, he wakes up and his sheets are sodden with perspiration, like sodden. Um, so yeah. Oh, and it, I think it's also worth mentioning that he passes the Queen Victoria Hospital, uh, briefly wondering if he should pop in to get his foot looked at. Uh, he writes, it now hurts a great deal, great deal multiplied by a million. But he rethinks, as writing, going to casualty for a cut foot, dear oh dear, how would I have coped in Vietnam? But I think uh, with the beauty of hindsight, he probably should have got it, got it looked at there and then. Yeah. Um, I noticed that he, he ends this by saying, uh, with the exception of light bulbs, hymens and my heart, which has been broken into a million pieces by a woman called Angela, everything's fixable. I miss Angela. There's a bit of a pattern here where I think quite a few of the chapters, or some of the chapters in this book at least, have been written so that they could be slotted in any order. And yes. then they just add two lines at the end, which tie it to the next <laughs> chapter. The same thing with yeah. Michael as exactly well. Exactly the same one, yeah. 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 Yeah, and, po- and Edmunds, I think, is what possibly. Um, yeah, I think it's only. Yeah, the- you could almost have those chapters written just ready to go and then just slot them in based yeah. on how yeah. you end and begin the book. Especially previous if you chapters. think, what, well, it's a 31 chapter book. He doesn't start the walk till chapter 10, and you have these totally separate standalone chapters on Angela, Michael, his father. Um, yeah, you've got at least three or four where they're specifically about a person. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I think they were probably floating chapters during the writing yeah, process. Could have gone and anywhere. just slotted them in where they made sense. So that leads us on to chapter 28, My Angel, uh, Angela. Which is probably, I think, the grossest, queasiest chapter in the whole book. I mean, we'll get on to some of the descriptions that Alan goes into. But yeah, it's pretty grim. <laughs> it's not nice, is it? Uh, so yeah, chapter all about Angela as played by Monica Doolan. Uh, her credits include W1A, Catastrophe, Inside Number 9, Black Mirror, and she won a BAFTA for her portrayal of Rose West, Inappropriate Adult, which I saw and was brilliant. So we see her in Alpha Papa and she you know, plays quite a prominent role in, in Mid Morning Matters. Um, I'm a big fan of how Alan describes her. Hers wasn't an obvious kind of beauty. You had to put a bit of effort to spot it, particularly if she'd had a couple of snifters the night before. But take your time, be prepared to look at her from a wide range of angles, and you would eventually strike gold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's also a little bit about his attitude towards receptionists, and a bit of a callback to Susan, I guess, uh, from I'm Ellen Partridge, saying, one of the things I love most about receptionists is they have to be nice to you. Uh, He also then says, it's vital that members of these professions, often women, but it's also now legal for men uh, to smile warmly. Not accepted, not commonplace, just legal. Yeah. yeah, and he says that a quiet word with the office manager from one of the more serious, serious senior members of staff should see them being shown the door within 24 hours of a grievance. And I thought he's definitely done this, hasn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, 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 yeah. That way. yeah. So a genuinely upsetting piece of terminology from Alan as he describes <laughs> yeah. the, the first time he tongue-shagged Angela. Um, and unfortunately, he doesn't leave it there. Um, I was going to say, it gets a whole lot worse. He goes into details about his kissing technique. When you've been snogging as long as I have, you get a pretty good feel for, you, for the strengths and weaknesses of your technique. I really don't really want to go into details. Does anyone? Uh... Yeah, well, uh, from a hygiene perspective, he's keen on Murray minting to ensure that his breath is always fresh. I mean, Murray mints are such an old person's sweet. In no way do they strike me as kind of being providing freshness in the mouth. Yeah, that seems like this sort of thing. Your, your gran might have a, a box of Murray mint somewhere or something. Yeah, it's not. A... It's never Murray mints. Yeah. Uh, Alan describes himself as an all-rounder. Uh, but he has one flaw other than dribbling is <laughs> that he tends to over lean 
On first dates, when a woman's not been briefed, this will usually mean she's forced backwards onto the floor. That briefed. I'd love to warn you. I will lean. I'd love to know what that briefing looks like. like, We're about to commence tongue shagging now, and I need to warn you. I do over lean. Yeah, Yeah. as well as footnote. I also dribble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alan and Angela snog for eight to ten minutes in their Frenchie sessions. Frenchie, it's everything about it is bad, Uh, and including that they often take place during the show and when Simon is there. But don't (laughs) worry, he has his magazines, magazines. which reminds me of the Simon doesn't mind. Fuck him. (laughs) Can we talk a second about Alan's ratings as well? Uh, He says um, it is. Just as well, there's more to love uh, than giving someone an arbitrary mark out of 10 for how attractive they are. So what if I was a six and she was an eight? Or if I was an eight and she was a six, brackets, which is what it was. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> question to the group, is Alan an eight? No. No. Do you think so? No. What? How is he an eight? I think that, well, because he's, he's played by Steve Coogan and he's a dashing man who looks after his hair. I think I think you could argue that Alan is an eight, but it's the fact that he's willing to point it out is the, is the joke. I think his maybe, lack of humility. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe physically he's an eight, but unfortunately he's dragged down by his personality <laughs> and the average may, comes out way lower. You maybe have a bit of an imbalance where obviously like Coogan himself is genuinely in good shape and obviously looks after himself, but the character of Alan obviously has a fat back, build up a fatty deposits. Mm-hmm. I don't think Alan in the world of the APU is in as good a shape as Coogan is in real life, so it is, it is a bit conflicting, but maybe... If Alan were to dress better and not have often such ridiculous hair, he probably would elevate his numbers a bit as well. So I'm going to have to press you to rate Alan Partridge's attractiveness out of 10 in that case. Oh, I'll give him a seven. Uh, fair enough. Seven? Again, generous. I'm going like four. And That's Steve, I'm giving low. you an 11. Oh yeah, Steve, Steve is... Hubba they, are, they are the same person physically. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about the Alan Partridge, the, the character. Oh, the in, in, the, in the actual APU, it's a four. Yeah. Uh, a quick follow-up question to the group. What magazines does Simon read to distract from this? <laughs> uh, what car magazine? No, no, no he doesn't. No, no, I no, think, no. Uh, oh, it's like, is, is it like those those like word search booklets? No. That you can buy uh, I, like I think he would probably read something as like a kind of Wired because he wants to be in that kind of tech world with young people where you get free breakfasts and the places of, uh, you know, where you work. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So he kind of is a, he's able to daydream of, of a life that unfortunately he's not able to obtain. I wonder if he might also get a uh, mad magazine imported from America or cracked. <laughs> I was thinking some uh, kind of comedy magazine. Yeah, and possibly a combo of uh, Private Eye in order to look smart and uh, because of uh, him and Lucy's Doctor Who watch along, probably a Doctor oh, yeah, Who yeah. magazine of some kind oh, yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, good, good, ma- good. Maybe Viz? Would he, mm. would he go? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can see him yeah. being a Viz person. But maybe yeah. like Viz has slipped inside Private Eye so he looks more intellectual. Yeah. Yes. So Angela is strong and has stamina. So that's uh, his sex description of Angela, which I think is a description that he's mentioned before about her. Um, that he definitely describes either their tongue shagging or shagging sessions in mid-morning matters, doesn't he? And it's equally quite grim. For a while, he thinks that there's something wrong with her, but after re-watching the film where Michael Fassbender plays a fuckaholic, (laughs) he concludes that it's just uh, that he turns her on. Also, (laughs) crucially, Michael Fassbender, not Fassbender. Oh, really? Is it? Fassbender. Uh, Angela and Alan move in together after 10 days of dating. Why not? Uh, and we learn that they have discussions whilst making love. Alan describes himself as quite a chatty lover and Angela less so. <laughs> and Tom, some people thought that them moving in together after 10 days was a bit quick, but it wasn't and they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> she might respond to the odd thing, but as a general rule, once lovemaking has begun in anger, she preferred not to be disturbed. <laughs> <In> anger. <laughs> 
Uh, and their pet names for each other, Sparrow is the name he would call her when they're making love, and Big Bird is the name she would call him. <laughs> now, we've uh, Alan's referenced Colby before. Um, <laughs> his, his dad's Colby. not on an oil rig. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the Cotswolds. But I don't think we've heard of Philip before, which and, is the and, other And also, child. what I also enjoy in the book, it says Colby brackets 15, and then Philip brackets, <laughs> I want to say 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I also like, because earlier um, he was saying that one of the eight deadly sins should be a rising inflection as if you've got a question mark yeah. at the end of the sentence yeah. so he's done his own thing yeah uh can you remember some of the highlights of alan's rules <laughs> i mean remember first of all they were basically good kids um but uh philip was short and colby had spots uh yeah one of the rules was that they have to go into the garden if they want to break wind yeah uh, it's important that they wash their hands before dinner yep uh, and be in gym jams by eight o'clock which to be fair is a rule i can support you, you do an act yeah, yeah, yeah. day to day life i also like that he requests they say grace before each meal he says as an atheist i wasn't <laughs> bound by this in beginning as soon as i sat down and he's basically just giving himself a head start <laughs> uh, is there one more which is uh alan must have dominion over the remote control yeah so he's he's effectively an absolute tyrant that gives them no freedom and it's hardly surprising that they hate living with him. But isn't this what he likes to describe as stepdadding 2.0? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I love that in the exchange coming up where he's trying to work out what the issue is with this sort of family dynamic that Angela is basically like a mute. Like, it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, is everything okay, Sparrow? What's going on? She just goes, too strict. <laughs> so Alan is living with Angela and her two kids. Uh, and everything is great, but the good times, sadly, were not to last. I was going to say, what could possibly go wrong at this point? Well, Alan will find a way. <laughs> so who's got details on what happens next? Well, I mean, it's, it's an incident we've covered before when it happened uh, in Mid-Morning Matters. Uh, he sent a text message to a lady uh, after a visit to the local swimming bar. Melanie, a Melanie. woman from accounts. Yep. He wants to play her bum like the bongos. It's the most foolish text message he's ever sent. <laughs> Uh, so we know from Mid Morning Matters uh, that this text was sent, um, but not a huge of amount of context around uh, why it was sent or how it came to be sent. Um, but we find that's out- right. You don't you don't get the whole story. No, you don't. Matters, do you? Yeah. So this is where we get to paint the picture of what happened. I guess is kind of what Alan says happened. Tom, paint the picture for us. I'll get my brushes. So there's a work do at a local swimming bath. <laughs> Of course. Um, crucially, Angela can't swim. Uh, she had lessons as a child, but she said that uh, she just kept sinking. Um, the night is a roaring success. Four members of staff turn out out of the 16 who said that they'd attend. Um, luckily, Alan has brought along four juice boxes, uh, which he invites the guys to sit in his car and drink them, including Melanie from accounts. Even that is just... It's just weird. Yeah. Like, do you want to come and sit in my car and drink juice? It's just, <laughs> it's just weird. Melanie from Accounts is up for it. Um, and it turns out that she's texted Alan a picture of her in a dressing gown, slightly open. And then one thing leads to another, and Alan sends a text saying he'd like to play a bum like the bongos. And Angela sees this text and immediately kicks him out. Did Melanie stitch him up, basically? Or did it happen? Yeah. Or is, or is there a, a world where, actually, she could conceivably have sent him a, t- a photo of her for a completely non-nefarious uh, purpose. Mm, well, if what Alan says is true and she's got a dressing gown slightly ajar, I think she knows what she's doing. Mm. Um, I, I'd, I'd, I, my read on this was I don't think Alan is making this up because right. th- this doesn't end well for him because you know he very quickly wraps up with our relationship collapsed and she kicked me out of the house. It's like he's not even tried to paint himself in a good light with this. So I true. think this is this is actual a reliable narration for a change. Mm. Um all I've got left on this chapter is that Alan signs it off with a desperate plea for Angela to get in touch with him again, which kind of mirrors the longing for her, for Michael to get in touch again with him. Uh, well, I like that he he writes, 
about the text messages, I tried to explain to her that it was just random banter between workmates. <laughs> There's nothing going on between us. I could have just as easily sent those texts to a man. Uh, but Angela was having none of it and could be quite stubborn. Uh, so once that's all happened, he says, uh, but every cloud is said to have a lining of precious metal, typically silver. Um, <laughs> so in this case, he says it's good because he ticks an item off his bucket list, a three-day watercolour break on the banks of Loch Lomond. I'm pretty sure uh, we've covered uh, him slagging off uh, watercolour breaks to one of the callers to Midmorning Matters as well. But in Midmorning Matters, he does talk about when he has the enforced break that he says it was his decision and he does go watercolour painting yes yeah. yes but doesn't he does say happen. it was a complete waste of he time he says it's rubbish like to someone who's yeah. considering right. it that yeah. comes into the show i think yeah right so i think that wraps up that chapter unless anyone's got anything else uh, well i think the other thing to add is maybe that he's uh he's still trying to communicate and much in a similar way that he tried to communicate to michael in coded messages yeah. in the book mm. uh he's using this book as a way to try and establish contact with angela there are several footnotes saying call me and um Things like, I did talk with the idea of sending her a message in this book, but my publisher felt it would be inappropriate and I agreed. After all, even if I did still have feelings for her, and that's not something I'm prepared to discuss publicly, would this really be the forum in which to say, Angela, if you're reading this, please talk to me when I walk past you at reception. I always try to catch your eye, but you just look down as if you're reading something, even though I know you're not. Yeah, and while I think of it, another thing I wouldn't have my publisher's print is a sign off along the lines <laughs> of, I think about you all the time, how your nose wiggles when you laugh, how you go blotchy after a hot shower. I just want to touch you, smell you, hold you tight in the pouring rain. You completely baby girl and then just a single kiss which in a weird way reminded me a bit of um there's a section in mike skinner's book the, the story of the streets where people are forever asking him um who the uh, famous person in uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Famous he got together with and he says you know i can say that it categorically wasn't rachel stevens which <laughs> i believe must be a way of saying it was rachel stevens but i can't say that allegedly allegedly so that brings us to the end of our penultimate nomad episodes uh, thanks so much for listening uh, if you're enjoying what you hear please do give us a five-star review or recommend us to a pal uh, and get in touch thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod on twitter it's at thepartridgepod on instagram it's at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is open for your calls on 07923 600 017 uh, we'll be back with the last of nomad but for now thanks for listening and goodbye call me a baby girl i'm off to play adam's bum like the bongos <laughs> <laughs> Awful. i see trees of green Red roses too I watch them bloom For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue Clouds of white Bright blessed day I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Larber on him, Nosey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.